I do a fair amount of equipment appraisal. I shouldn't say predominantly for fair market value purposes within the confines of the companies that that we represent for sale. I thought it would be a good good interview to talk about equipment values. So the reason I want to talk about this today is especially with this pandemic, there's a lot of companies that are likely uh, going to be forced to sell their companies, which which is just simply the assemblage of assets. Some A lot of the goodwill has evaporated with this pandemic. So I thought it would be a good idea that uh, we talk about equipment value. And that's where my friend in the business, Tim Roy from Capital Analytics comes in. See, he's a, a machinery and equipment appraiser up at, uh, like I said, Capital Analytics in Indianapolis. He works with business owners, lenders, and investors, and he evaluates equipment of all kinds. And so in our discussion, what we did, it goes across the board. And, and I was asking him about, you know, what, what kind of equipment is best in this pandemic? You know, what other industries might be able to absorb equipment? How do you value it? How can you do it yourself? How do you know when you need another professional? So it's a great interview. I, I really enjoyed him and he is certainly generous with his information and, and certainly a resource for all of us here on the podcast. So enjoy my conversation with Tim Roy. Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. A podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable. Learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Misogland. I'm your host, Ed Misogland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove the risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. Like I indicated at the beginning when I was introducing this podcast, you know, I'm I'm so stoked about uh, Tim Roy of Capital Analytics. And the reason why is a lot of, you know, there's just a, a lot to know about equipment and, and always wanted an equipment appraiser on here, even though I do it myself in a limited capacity, I did want to bring somebody that, you know, not only had the the business chops, but but also would be a good interview and, and is transparent. And then that's Tim Roy. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. I've listened to a lot of these podcasts going back to your early days and um, I've learned a lot. And so it's fun to be on. I'm excited to be on. All right on. Well, so I gave a, a high level overview of you and Capital Analytics, but can you uh, talk a little bit about the the work that you're doing and how you're serving business owners? Sure. So our firm, we do machinery and equipment appraisals and business valuations. We're focused on small businesses. Um, so we really do assignments for any professional associated with any small business acquisition or liquidation. It could be the business owner their controllers, the lenders, accountants, attorneys, business brokers, any sort of small business advisor or professional could be our client. On the equipment side, our business is mostly driven by acquisitions, liquidations. Um, if you think about it, when a business is operating successfully, the value of the, the equipment is really only the revenue it produces for you. You're not real concerned with the market value of the equipment because you don't intend to sell it. But when you're buying a business or selling a business or selling or buying assets, now suddenly the market value matters to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Well, the funny thing, this is an overwhelming issue is there are so many pieces of equipment. How, how do you just right out of the gate? How do you 
how can you possibly know the value of so many different types of equipments for so many different types of industries? You know, that's a, that's a hard one. And, and, and I'm certain like you, you've probably gotten squeezed by somebody saying, oh, you, you couldn't possibly know that value. How do you, how do you do that? Is we admit that we know what we don't know. Uh, <laughs> there are nice industries answer. that support specialist appraisers. So there's so much action in say construction equipment, farm equipment, trucks and trailers, these things, there's mega data for these. They are sold at such great rates. There are appraisers that only work in those industries. We work in those industries as well, partially because they're sort of easy to appraise. There's so much information. It's like using a Kelly Blue Book, but you're looking up equipment instead. And then there are specialist industries, aircraft, trains, boats. The appraisal kind of bridges with certification and worthiness. So you're going to want a professional that specializes in those fields. Everything else falls into what we sort of call the generalist category. It could be anything from food processing to printing to manufacturing, you know, really any sort of a business where you have a heavy equipment component to it and where your equipment can be one of the most valuable pieces of your business, there will be appraisers that work in that field. Now, we will never know as much about your equipment as you do, and we will never know as much as the dealer does who sold it to you or the maintenance guy who works on it. But what we can do is interpret market data in such a way that gives a professional a reasonable estimate of market value. Uh, We're a disinterested party. So we learn everything we have to learn to be the experts on the value of that type of equipment. It doesn't mean we're the premier expert on that type of equipment. It means we are the experts on the value of that type of equipment. You brought up an airplane and, you know, and I'm certain you get into, into this conversation too. And, and I found myself appraising an air, airplane once I've roamed the planet long enough to know what I don't know. This referral partner said, you know, it's just an airplane. Of course you can appraise it. I had to bring in so many people to help me just render a good number that the majority of my fee went to pay those guys to uh, ride shotgun. It was like you were saying to to have that level of expertise in certain areas is one thing, but having enough experience to know when you need another expert is is an entirely different animal. Well, that's the value of the professional associations. Uh, we're in the ASA, the American Society of Appraisers, and the AMEA, the Association of Machinery and Equipment Appraisers. And there are specialists in just about everything. You get a lot of free information from them. And then you share deals with them. You refer deals back and forth. And there's a saying in a lot of different businesses that the best deal you ever took was the deal you turned down or the deal you gave away. And it's the same thing here. You're very glad when you've turned a customer that you trust and that trusts you over to an expert and they get a quality product and you maintain a positive relationship, even if you lost the fee on that deal. Yeah, no, you're right. And like I said, it's taken a lot of years to come to that conclusion. Back in when I was younger, it, it was take everything I can get because, you know, that that's what you do. But, you know, the older you get, you have enough experience to know when you don't have enough experience. The machinery and equipment community is is a real diverse community. And I, and I know I'm, I'm going to catch flat foot, but that's part of the podcast. It's a diverse community. I mean, some of these guys that are appraising equipment have never used the income approach to ever appraise something, but they are so well suited to appraise them. And I, I was in a situation where in some expert witness work, this guy, it was him and I, and I had my litany of supporting information on this equipment and why it was worth what it was. 
And this guy, his name was Joe. And Joe comes up to the stand and the, uh, the judge goes, Joe, you, you have one piece of paper here. And he goes, he goes, yes, sir. Or yes, your honor. And he goes, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And this guy, Ed over here, he's got all of this supporting information. He goes, well, you know what? He looks like a nice guy, but I was at the auction last week. <laughs> I can tell you, I know exactly what that's worth. And I could, because it sold last week for it. So his dated information. And, and so the judge looks at me and I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's got me. I mean, what can you do? But my point was that this guy was just a, a different animal that, they go to auctions and they're climbing over equipment and that's what they like to do. So that's not your practice. You you guys are doing a, a lot of work in a lot of different industries, right? You're right. It's a diverse crowd and every client wants a different thing, right? Mm. Let's just say, uh, let's say we're looking at a farm and you have all the heavy equipment, the machinery, the tractors, the combines, the planters, and so on and so on. And you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in each major asset. You've got a lot of supporting stuff that costs you ten to fifty thousand dollars a piece. And so, you know, on a big farm, you might have millions of dollars even at used value in equipment. So who is actually ordering the appraisal and what do they want? If the farmer wants to know what he's going to get at liquidation, there's no reason to pay a guy in a suit and a tie. You just call the auctioneer up and say, What are you going to get me if you sell this? And Joe uh, walks by and says, well, I've sold 10 of these and here's what they're going to get at this county on this day out here in, in rural Nebraska or wherever you're at. And that's all you need. Now, let's say you're an accountant and you need that same opinion, but you need it reconciled to a tax list. And you also need someone to argue your case for you before, say, some tax board. Or you need someone to write a long, detailed report um, justifying some sort of a rental value because you're renting the equipment back to your son, who's also a farmer, right? Now, Joe, the local auctioneer might not have the professional skills to put that together. So a judge might want one thing, an attorney wants something else. Let's say the farmer's getting divorced and his wife thinks that tractor's worth a lot more than he does. Now it becomes about which appraiser can present the best argument in front of an arbitrator. So this, the end result might be the same, but the skill sets of all the appraisers are different. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses based on what clients they're working for. So, but let's fast forward. So now here we are, we're all in this together with this coronavirus mess. I keep thinking, well, unless they're in dire straits and they know that they need, you know, they're, they're liquidating. I still advocate for an appraisal, but is that a matter of, you know, you should just call the auctioneer and, and get, get the, the value from him or her. Everything's loaded. Every question's loaded. <laughs> That's um, what, welcome to welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing is is what do you actually want to know and who needs to know it? If you're a business owner, you've already decided that you have to close your doors and you can't sell your business as a going concern, or you're a workout banker that's already decided you have to go to liquidation because this loan's in default and it's become clear that you're never going to see your cash back in a loan. Then yeah, you might as well call two or three auctioneers and get bids. You don't need to get an appraiser in the middle of it. If you're experienced in the field, you feel comfortable about the auctioneers you know, the liquidators you know. We do some services with workout bankers where we might help them with their RFP. We might help review the auction bids that come in and the contracts. But at the end of the day, there's no use getting an appraisal when you know you're going to liquidate already. Because what good does it do for us to tell you what might happen? If you have to liquidate, liquidate. But let's say you're on the verge and you have to make your decisions. You're a workout banker and you have a borrower who's struggling 
and they can offer you some cash flow, some debt service, but it's less than they agreed to. If you're the workout banker, you need to know, do I force them into liquidation? Because if I sell these assets and I found out they're not worth anything, I would have been better taking some payments in the meantime, right? Uh, you're a business owner. It may be, I'm getting some low value offers from my business that I thought was worth something. I need to know what my alternatives are. Am I better off doing an asset sale? What could I sell my real estate, my equipment? Maybe you have some intangible assets. You need to know in order to make those decisions uh, before you just call up the local auctioneer. And the second half of that, it's a bit of a loaded question, but you have to remember the liquidator, the dealer, these are interested parties. They're trying to win your business. They're not independent and they're not motivated to give you independent answers. A good appraiser should be independent of the deal being done. So you as a business broker certainly see a lot of business brokers who do valuation as you do. And certainly there's pressure from the buyer's representative and from the seller's representative to present things in a certain light. So you really have to hold yourself to a standard, I would assume, to be independent of the deal or you're not Glad getting, you're assuming that <laughs> or you're not giving you're not giving good advice. You know what? The fact of the matter is that the industry has changed. And that's kind of the next question I was going to get to is in the business valuation community, we're all pulling from the same body of knowledge. So, you know what? A lot of buyers these days are showing up with their own appraisers and we need to rec be able to reconcile our numbers. So the days of putting out a stupid number, hoping that you're going to find a stupid person that's going to pay a stupid value. It just doesn't happen anymore. And a lot of business owners, you know, they haven't warmed up to it. But, you know, once they start moving through the process, they they figure it out, you know, the buyer is more astute than they give credit to. But that moves me into the equipment appraisal side of things. Now, what do I do in that situation? Tell me how I'm supposed to get a good value, not necessarily sell it, but understand the value. I'm Mr. Business Owner and I took it on the chin with COVID-19. Okay. So now we're, I'm debating on selling the company and it may just only be a tangible asset sale kind of thing. Am I supposed to call you? They're probably, they're going to call me and say, look, I, I need your help to sell the company. So when I'm trying to render a value, I'm looking, okay, well, I guess I need to go either to you as an equipment appraiser or to an auctioneer. So who tells me the number I need for the market I now serve? You've talked on your podcast before about how price and value are not the same thing. Price is the value of something to a certain person at a certain time, to a certain entity at a certain time, right? So your optimal price is dependent on your situation right now. So if you're that business owner, an auctioneer gives you one possible outlet which is I want to sell it all right now through an auctioneer in the next 30 days or whatever it is. And that's one possible value point. Now you might have some other options. That's what a lot of people refer to as forced liquidation value, as you know, being an appraiser. A lot of liquidators offer what they would consider more of an orderly liquidation. Maybe you have a little more time for exposure. Maybe all of the sales are not absolute, you know, no reserve sales. Maybe there's an opportunity to withhold some pricing. And then you have your fair market value, which would be more, you have time to sell it. You can sell at the retail level. You can find the right buyer at the right time. The assumption is it's worth the wait and you can obtain a higher price. So it really comes down to what are your circumstances? What are your situation? How much time do you have? Do you have money to invest in these assets to clean them up? So for example, if you own construction equipment and you sell through Ritchie Brothers, they make you paint the equipment, fix the windshield. Do they really? I, I, I had no idea. 
<laughs> if you go to one of their big auctions and run it across the nice. block, I don't want to speak for them. Maybe they don't force you to, but they sure. strongly encourage you. Um, sure. it's what we were told in a presentation from a Richie employee, because they believe that will help everyone there obtain higher prices, attract more bidders, etc. An auctioneer represents one possible value outlet. A dealer might represent another. They'll take you, it'll take, you know, they'll tell you it'll take X number of weeks at X price point. If you need to sell it faster, we have to discount the price more and so on and so on. So I just don't want to confuse price and value. If you're a business owner who's getting an offer and you as the business broker are trying to decide what's appropriate in an asset sale, let's look at what the equipment brings to the new buyer. So what would it cost the buyer to replace this? You know, let's say your buyer wants to use the facility to do essentially the same thing it's doing right now. So the value to the buyer is going to be, what would it cost me to replace these assets? What would it cost me to reinstall them? And how much life, you know, by some factor of how much life is left in them and how well they're running. That's not the same as an auction value. You might have some money in installation, tooling. Uh, you have some integration factors. So those sort of things would all bring more value to a seller, assuming that the buyer wants to keep using the facility the same way. If the things are all standalone assets and the buyer's not interested in using the facility, then it would be, well, my alternative is to liquidate them. And if I can get anything above that from the buyer, that's a good price. Three things that we got to talk about. One are the different levels of value. And so why don't we start there? So you, you talked about orderly or you talked about fair market value, orderly liquidation and forced liquidation. Can you, mm -hmm. can you talk about what the difference yeah. is between them? Even above that level, I'd say you have installed or removed. Some manufacturing facilities are set up in such a way that they're intended sort of to be kept as that type of facility. Most foundries are always going to be a foundry. Most scrap processors are always going to be scrap processors. They've got the structures there. They've got the zoning there. They're probably going to, a quarry is always going to be a quarry. So if the equipment's in place and is staying in place, obviously it's going to have the highest possible value because there's no cost of removal, cost of insulation for the new buyer. Fair market value would be more of a retail level. If, let's say you're removing the assets, but you would expect that they're being represented by a professional broker or dealer. Buyers have the opportunity to come check things out, try them out, get all the asset information. You're not necessarily buying them as is. Maybe there's some assurance that they're going to work properly. Orderly liquidation value is somewhere in the middle between auction and retail. Uh, maybe this is you're selling something yourself, but you're not in a huge rush to sell it. Or maybe you have a, a dealer who's selling it for you, but he's selling it as is, and he's trying to get rid of it quickly, but not necessarily today. An auction value is just that, or a forced liquidation value. It may not be an auction. It may just be pricing depressed to the point that you can sell the asset right now. And this is as is, where is, no guarantees, no assurances, no warranties, you usually would have a professional liquidator come in, present things in the best possible light, but nobody there is under any confusion as to what they're getting. They're taking all the risk, they're paying cash or cash equivalent, and they're out the door with it. And so those are the three levels of trade. Obviously, as you move down the levels of trade, you're selling it usually faster and usually cheaper. Um, so there's an investment. If you want to get to the higher level of trade, you might have to put some money into your assets. You might have to wait months to sell it but you may obtain a higher price. It just depends on the type of equipment. Yeah, I get you. One of the concerns that I have is advising business owners. When we're talking about what they should do and they're in a tight spot, 
should you stay and keep incurring costs, keep servicing debt, keep doing this, that, and the other. So there's a holding cost of that investment versus, you know, is it better to call, get the value or, you know, call an auctioneer or, or call someone like you get a, a forced or an early liquidation value and, and let her rip and see what happens. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what is the terms, you know, the length of time to sell something mm-hmm. when under those different levels of value. That's where I'm going with that. Yeah. So we give a lot of our clients will ask for sort of a high and a low. Mm -hmm. So we will sort of lay out and any good appraiser should do this. And they do. We see a lot of people's reports and they do lay this out. And your appraiser should tell you if you have X amount of time and you're willing to put X amount of dollars into dressing these assets up a little, then you should be able to obtain this amount of money or some amount close to that. If you put zero money into it and you need to sell it in 30 days, then you may get this amount of money in return. And then you as the business owner or the broker can look at your carrying costs of the business and decide if it's worth the investment. You know, maybe you already own your real estate and it's not a hot seller and it's not costing you a lot to keep your equipment there. Maybe everything already looks pretty good and it just needs a coat of paint. Or maybe it just needs, maybe you just need to go through and clean everything up. And you can let it sit for a little while and keep it plugged in so people can come look at it. And it's better off to wait and see if you can find that right buyer over some time. Or maybe you're paying a ton for your lease and maybe your equipment needs a lot of money put into it that you're not sure you're going to get back and you just need to be out of it. Then you can make that decision and see, you know what, I, I just need to get out of this. I need to liquidate now. I'm calling the local auctioneer or two and get some bids. It's just a matter of trying to give the best advice in situations like this, because normally this is not a a good conversation to have. This isn't a, a feel good kind of scenario where, you know, we're telling somebody that, you know, they're only worth the, the assemblage of assets. So when we're talking about that, from where I'm heading with this is when we start talking about the assemblage of assets and from the buy side, what is the what should I anticipate if I'm the seller? What should I anticipate from the buyer as far as inspection? What am I looking for when you say clean up the assets? What does that mean? And what should I anticipate that buyer is going to do when they start to squeeze me? Where are they going to squeeze? <laughs> well, think Ed, if you were going into say a small manufacturing facility and you're only buying the assemblage of assets, and that's that's already, like you said, a horrible conversation to have with a 60 something business owner who was looking forward to retirement. And now based on uh, the current economic situation or any other situation has found that their business does not have a lot of value. And now you have some guy like me showing up and telling you your equipment doesn't really even have a lot of value. (laughs) And uh, those are difficult conversations to have. And that's a very difficult part of any Valuator's job, regardless of what field you're in. The buyer wants to see how they can make money, right? So, in a going concern, the buyer sees cash flow and they're usually buying the cash flow. In a distressed sale or in an asset only, the buyer is going to look, what are my efficiencies? How can I work this into my current operation? What can I do with these assets to make money? And if I don't need them or I don't want them, what can I liquidate them for? So I think the buyer and the seller both see their bottom dollar as, if I have to have an auction, what will I get for this? Minus any expenses required. The top dollar for both of them is, what can I do with this? 
And that might be a different answer for every single business owner. If you have relationships with a client who needs a product that you need these assets to manufacture, they're worth a lot to you. If you don't have that relationship, well, they're probably scrapped. So I guess I would say as the business owner, don't be emotionally invested in what you did with these. You have to understand this is a piece of metal and the buyer is going to come in and only see what they want to do with it. And you can't take that personally. That's their motivation for offering you something is how much money can I make off it? I, I get it from the buyer standpoint. I mean, that's that's where you make your money. It's on the original investment, not necessarily down downstream. But if I'm the seller, I can respect that you're going to squeeze me. I just want to know where. I, I need, you know, it, you know, like you were talking about Richie Brothers. All right, so clean it up. That's fine. But at what point does it become a terrible investment to cure the equipment, so to speak? Yeah, I think you just have to use, I would just encourage common sense. You don't know what the buyer wants. You don't know what the buyer needs. You don't know what they're going to make good use of and not. So I don't think you as a, as a business broker, or I as an appraiser would ever encourage anyone to put a lot of money into something when they don't know that the buyer of the business or the buyer of the package of assets is going to want it. So if you have a row of CNC machines and they're all looking a little tough, think of if you're selling the house, wait till the buyer comes to you and says you have to put a new roof on it before you put the money into a new roof and decide if that's worthwhile. So maybe they only want the, uh, this, the big lathe and the little lathe and they don't need the milling machines. So maybe you put a little money into updating the two lathes because they said that's something they didn't want to do and you already had the mechanic there to do it. And then maybe you take the other stuff to a consignment uh, resale place, uh, you know, an industrial consignment, or maybe you take it to an auction and you get rid of it that way. There's no use to put a lot of money into something that you don't know if your buyer wants. No, I get it. And and I think the the other thing that needs to be at least talked about is, is it better to just offer a warranty on the equipment or go ahead and fix it? I'm not certain the latter or the former isn't the better superior to the latter. Well, if you're having an asset sale, I mean, I think you have to make an assumption that you're not really in a position to offer any sort of a warranty. I mean, you need out, right? You're not in a position to, to continue worrying about this stuff. Well, someone's going to force you to, if it's from a business standpoint, someone's going to squeeze you and say, look, I want you to represent and warrant the, the equipment's, uh, you know, I, and I'm going to say, you know, Mr. Buyer, you had the opportunity to climb over and test and this, yeah. that, and the other. It's, it's sorry yeah. if it busts a, a week from now. Well, know? in any major uh, manufacturer, there are secondary marketplace warranties you can buy. There are service contracts you can buy for every type mm-hmm. of machinery imaginable. So let's say you do have that big CNC lathe and they want to make sure it works and you know, you're not in position to offer that. Well, maybe you knock off the cost of one year of a third party service contract. Maybe that would be some way you could assure them that it will work for the next year. You could have a, uh, somebody come out and check it out and have a package where they come every three months and recalibrate it or whatever. Does, Depends does on that the cost money for someone to come out and inspect it? You Usually you would sign service contracts. So on a new machine, it would come with a year and then maybe you would buy a three-year service contract or... How about a 15-year-old piece of equipment? Can I pull out the, bring the service tech from the manufacturer and say, you know, take a look and yeah, put, that, can I put a service contract? On? At that point, there are probably, probably go to a third-party company that is a, you know, like a quote licensed uh, service and sales dealer or license, licensed service and selling company for this manufacturer and 20 other manufacturers in this region. 
And you can Google these and they'll put you in touch with these people. And then they'll come out and they'll offer you service contracts and they'll do everything else. This is uh, becoming more and more important because it's so hard to find technicians for the newer equipment. Um, people are doing a lot more leasing equipment and hiring service contracts as opposed to buying equipment and having a guy in the shop that's going to fix it for you. What are the industries that have a good secondary market? Now I'm bouncing around, but but since we were talking about if I can't sell it, what are the markets that are looking at absorbing equipment? Well, like everything else, every industry is up in the air right now. Ah, so, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what you have to look at is, well, like you said, what industry does this play into and what's the outlook for that industry? So I don't want to make too many comments about what's happening right now because we just don't know what's going no, to happen. No one, no. Any industry. This is the uh, internet. We, we can say anything we want. <laughs> but every industry is different. So for example, if you have energy related assets, maybe you have fracking units or anything related to a, to a fracking site, the fortunes of that equipment rise and fall with the fortunes of the industry. Sure, no, I get it. If you have certain types of large machine tools that are almost always used for aerospace type materials, then the fortunes of the value of those machine tools are going to rise and fall with the fortunes of the defense and aerospace industry. Construction equipment. Before we came into the pandemic, there were a lot of states and counties that were flush with cash and were signing up big long-term infrastructure contracts. If those contracts continue, that equipment's going to be worth a lot of money. Infrastructure building in foreign countries, that's where a lot of the secondhand construction equipment goes is overseas. And what are those going to look like after the pandemic? But that would be the market that's going to affect the construction equipment. Agriculture, that follows its own pathways, independent of pretty much every other type of industry. Farm machinery, we've all read a lot about the downfall of dairy. So that obviously affects dairy equipment row crop and just grain equipment, fruit and vegetable equipment. This stuff all follows its own timeline and they all follow their own industrial patterns. So I would really caution anyone from making blanket assumptions about we are in a pandemic, we're going to have a recession, the value of all equipment is going to fall. Well, that's not necessarily true. It really depends what industry you're in, what verticals you're in, and the fortunes of those industries over the next 12 months. Totally get it. So from uh, April 1 to April 30, what? those are your effective dates. What? How are you making the adjustment on your valuation? Since, I, since I've been getting that on a regular basis, I'll ask yeah. you, how, how are you, what are you doing about it? You just uh, putting the disclaimer that uh, there's ex- extraordinary circumstances surrounding this uh, appraisal. Like everyone else, uh, we are on webinars every week <laughs> where everyone sits around and asks this question and they're just hoping that somebody with a lot of initials after their name gives a good answer so that we can put them in our reports. Yeah. What we are doing, how we are handling it and how a lot of appraisers I know are handling it, we sort of put a disclaimer in the report. We're emphasizing that this effective date is the date that it is. And don't assume there's results are going to be good in a quarter or six months from now. And we are relying on the market data that we have. So we subscribe to a service that tracks auction results. A lot of big auction companies for trucks and trailers and farm machinery and construction equipment, they publish their auction results. You can either pay to subscribe to them. Some of them are free. Uh, Richie Brothers, for example, is free. Um, The NADA is a truck and trailer guy. We pay for that. A lot of farm machinery services, some are free and some you pay for. Machine tools, auction results, you can find a lot of those online. Or you just call 
your buddies in the profession and you say, Hey, I saw you had a stamping shop two weeks ago. How did that go? And we're just using the most recent data available. And until we see that data really fall, we're not discounting prices a whole lot. Right now, as of now, prices have remained strong at auction for this equipment. Um, that might seem hard, hard to believe, but you have to remember the factories that produce this equipment are also slowing down. So when there's not new equipment to be bought, the value of used equipment goes up. So as of now, we have not had to make a lot of deductions. Uh, we are putting those disclaimers in and we're watching every appraisal. We check the market again to make sure it's still on track. And when it's not, we'll start knocking the values down. Yeah, we're in the same, we're, we're in the same camp and, and we're trying desperately to, to give business owners good information so that they can make good decisions. The empirical data just has not rolled out yet. I see surveys and, and the different adjustments that people are making. But again, it's just a survey. It's not market data. We're all in a tough spot. Any, any of us that are, that are rendering opinions on the value of an asset. I would say, especially about manufacturing assets, is we've seen a generational shift of onshoring the supply chains for heavy equipment, automobiles, defense and aerospace. And that's for a lot of different reasons, political and consumer driven. But these are generational shifts. It's not like all of a sudden, all of these supply chains are going to be shifted back overseas because we had a six month recession due to a pandemic, right? So the value of these assets, this equipment, which is needed to produce these parts is not suddenly going to disappear. Now, if you try to liquidate something tomorrow and we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are hoarding their cash, then yeah, it might drop. But it would be a little presumptuous to think that suddenly all these CNC machines or these assembly lines or these robots are going to be worthless because we had a pandemic. Um, it's going to take a longer term reduction in demand before something like that happens. I mean, these suppliers have been asked to make these investments by the large manufacturers. These are generational investments, and they're not going to suddenly turn around and go back overseas. In fact, a situation like this might drive more companies to do more business domestically. So the domestic supply chains are going to need that production capacity. They're going to need the quality equipment. I struggle to believe that it's just going to fall off the map like it did after 2008. I don't think so either. I, I think there's too much stimulus money. And I think I think we're going to throw a the United States government's going to throw an awful lot to ensure that we're somehow some way we're not necessarily that we're going to get out, get out whole. But I think there's going to be incentives to let's let's get this thing back running the way it should. Another thing that happened in the equipment industry prior to 2008, there was sort of a, a long term buildup of sort of the old legacy equipment from a lot of manufacturing processes. Well, in the years 2010, 11, 12, 13, I was in the auction industry at that time, and that was just scrapyard city. I mean, every auction, you had these old legacy machines selling for scrap, going to the scrapyard. Those were high scrap price times, and that was sort of thinned out the inventory for manufacturing equipment a bit. Since then, business owners have been running leaner. They've been running uh, without such a backlog of equipment. And so even though you might see some of the same trends, there simply isn't the inventory of obsolete equipment to suddenly make everything worthless in the way that it may have been 10 years ago. So since you were in the auction industry, you you were an auctioneer, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm a recovering so, auctioneer. That's what I tell All right. You. Well, that's okay. So the question is, how do you learn the auctioneer chant? <laughs> yeah. That's well, what it's called, right? The chant? Yeah. Like most auctioneers in Indiana, I went to Reppert's 
at that time it was in Indianapolis. Now it's back up in Auburn and you just practice. They teach you to, you drive down the street and you sell the telephone poles one after another. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It's a uh, pretty high stress, high octane industry. You are evenings, weekends, you never quit. It doesn't matter what, if you're selling cows or real estate or grandma's China, it doesn't matter. It is a drive, drive, go, go, go industry. I have a lot of respect for those guys that are out there cranking every day. I prefer the appraisal industry. It's a little more family friendly. <laughs> Got it. Well, I'll tell you, the, yeah, a lot of those uh, auctioneers, they print money. They do s- some really unbelievable businesses. We've had, yeah. uh, we've had some, some opportunities to play in that space. And the industry has professionalized dramatically in the last few years. More and more, the industry has gone from being the local guy who does it part-time to professional operations with a full-time staff online operations, uh, sophisticated representation. I think that that's an industry that's just really professionalized and you can get some really professional services. The old stereotypes of auctioneer Joe and his cowboy hat standing on a farm wagon. That's just not, if you go to a, to a modern farmland auction or a modern equipment auction and you haven't been to an auction in 15 years, you'd be amazed by how clean and professional the industry is. Yeah, no, no, you're you're exactly right. And Indiana's got a number of great auctioneer. Uh, yeah, we're a great auction, auction state. That's true. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about just the appraisal process? If I'm a if I'm a a new client, what should I expect out of you guys? We try to make it simple for you. You know, we try to ask you who are you? What do you actually need? A lot of people say, "I want to know what my equipment's worth." Well, why? Are you a lender that needs to collateralize against it? Are you a business owner that needs to think about selling it? Are you a business owner who's thinking about buying it or replacing it? Are you an accountant that's worried about tax strategies? Are you an attorney that's representing somebody fighting over it? Because all of these different things bear differently on the results of the appraisal. Like we said, value is the price to a certain party at a certain time. Well, each of those parties have different time frames and different reasons for wanting to know the value. So the first thing we're going to know, want to know is why do you need to know? What do you actually want to know? What question do you want answered? What's your problem that needs a solution? And then after that, we just want to know what is it that you have? And then we'll ask some basic questions about the histories. If we do a site visit, we'll tour the facility. We'll take pictures, get all the empirical information, make models, serial year, maintenance histories, overhauls, controls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We try to get an impression of the maintenance procedures in the facility, uh, the environmental, the storage conditions of idled assets, and then we try to be quick and efficient about it so that we don't use a lot of your time as the client. You know, we know everyone's running their own business. And the last thing you want to do is hire an outside professional and find that it takes you more time than them to do the job. <laughs> By the way, you ever run into those uh, clients that can't find, give you an asset list and they can't find the asset? Yeah, that happens quite frequently. <laughs> right, I know. Oh, all right. So, so you you go through the process, you do the appraisal. Now, mm-hmm. the reporting. There's a couple different levels of reporting, right? The actual valuation process. Once we really find out what you need, and we get the asset inventory in good shape, then we go to the market, like we said, and we start putting values on things. And it's all an estimate, and nobody knows exactly sure. what something's going to sell for tomorrow. We're trying to give reasonable estimates so that you can make some common sense decisions for whatever it is that your purpose is. And the report is pretty straightforward. A good appraisal report should not just say, here's the value and here's the asset list. A good appraisal report needs to say, here's why you needed this. 
here's why we did it this way. Here's where we got these values. And here's our argument for, you know, here's a major asset that was valued a lot higher or lower than you expected. Well, here's how we came up with this. And it should be more conversational. A lot of appraisers get scared that someone's going to challenge their value and they're going to have to defend it. And so they sort of hide their information. A good appraiser should be the other way around. Here's all the information I used. If you think something's incorrect, come talk to me about it. And we'll see if there was a misunderstanding or maybe I can explain to you why the marketplace isn't what you think it is. So we really try to be transparent and open. Every owner of every asset ever thinks it's worth more than it is. You know that as a business broker, Um, your baby is always the prettiest baby and that's just the way it is. And so we do a lot of explaining to people, look at the market information and tell me yourself if you think something different is justified. And so we try to, to hedge off some of those challenges in the report so that they understand where we're coming from. We're not bad guys. We're trying to give good common sense opinions. Well, do they, and I've had this rebuttal a number of times, they say, well, well, all you do is Google your, this asset and you can find it anywhere on the internet. That that's my value. And sure. I, and I'm, you believe that you think so? Uh, I mean, I spend 90% of my time valuing on Google, but what does Google actually tell you? If you look at the results of an auction and there were 10 lathes of the same make and model that sold uh, in the last, say, 10 months at 10 different auctions. Well, do you know how to interpret those stats? What was the buyer's uh, premium for those auctions? Were the online auctions or on-site auctions? Were they all sales? Isn't it possible some of those were incomplete sales that the auctioneer recorded and then they didn't actually sell? Or let's say you Google the asking price of a, a CNC lathe. How long has that page been up there? Is that from 2015 and the lathe was made in 2012? Well, that was a three-year-old lathe. Now it's an eight-year-old lathe. Uh, did that sale ever consummate? Have you ever talked to the dealers in the industry to know whether asking price is always 10 or 20% higher than you need? Um, did you account for the fact that that lathe had a 40-tool carousel and yours only has a 20? Or that that lathe only had 2,000 operating hours and yours has 10,000? So it is true that you spend most of your time on Google but the interpretation of the data is what really matters. And when you are an interested party, when it's your equipment, you are psychologically incapable of interpreting that data properly. It's only when you don't care that you can give it a good value. And that's, we all see that in our daily lives. You list your car for Kelly Blue Book plus 20%. The buyer comes and offers Kelly Blue Book minus 20%. And that's right. just human nature. At the end of each podcast, I always ask every one of our guests is what is the one piece of advice that you could give our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business? So for you, what would that be? One thing I wanted to to mention was about sort of leaning up your equipment operation. A lot of manufacturers, they have this back warehouse full of old equipment that they had dreams of reusing, or they think it gives them flexibility. But if you want to sell your business, you know, the new buyer is going to come in and they're going to see the cash flow you're producing with your current assets. That back warehouse doesn't have any meaning to them. You're better off focusing on your revenue driving equipment, everything else, clean up and sell and use that back warehouse to do something else. Maybe you can do something productive that the new buyer will find value in because trust me, they don't find value in a warehouse full of equipment that hasn't been operated in five years. I mean, the second thing I really wanted to say is we tour so many manufacturing facilities And I would strongly encourage these boomer business owners who want to be able to sell their business in the next few years to clean up their facilities, 
There is a real shortage of skilled labor, skilled practitioners, machinists, and millennials, and uh, the generation below millennials, who's that, Gen Zers. Even if they are skilled workers, they are not going to work in dark, dirty, dank environments with poor airflow. When we open the door to a shop, Ed, I'm not joking, I can tell you one step into that shop, the average age of the worker there. And if it's a dark, dirty shop with low ceilings, the average age of those laborers is retirement age. And the operations manager is telling me they can't find replacement. And their number one problem is workforce retention. And so if, if you're a small manufacturer, business owner, I would strongly encourage you to make those investments in the air quality, lighting quality, the environment. You know, millennials and the younger generation we value experience, that day-to-day experience of feeling good about where you work and, and having this fresh environment. Those are the facilities that have young, talented workforces. That's a great point. You know what? I, and I, and having, having walked in so many manufacturing facilities over the years, you're exactly right that I never thought of it from the employee's perspective. I always thought about it from the presentation of the buyer. You know, how, does the, how will the buyer react to it? But at the same time, we've had a number of, of people here on the podcast that have talked about the lack of talent and attracting and keeping it. And so that makes total sense. You have a great environment, you'll you'll attract and retain. I, I get it. I, yeah, I'm, even traditionally dirty industries, fabrication, welding, foundries, there are ways you can invest in uh, dust collection, fume collection, the way you lay out the shop that will make it clean and bright and spacious and will help you retain younger skilled workers. It's really hard to find a young welder right now. And if you want that one guy out there to come work for you, you need to have a clean looking shop. And then when you go sell your business, now you can tell that buyer, look, I have a young engaged workforce. I don't have 40 guys who are three years from retirement that I can't replace. I have a diverse, I have experienced guys. I have young guys. I have guys coming up. I don't want to say guys, guys and gals. I have an experienced, diverse workforce who's engaged, who's loyal, and I have no problem attracting new workers. That makes your business more attractive to a buyer than an aging workforce that you're struggling to replace. You know what? That's a great point. That is such a great point. So so what's the best way we can connect with you? The best way is to go to our company website, capitalanalytics.com. Somebody put an E on the end of capital. Don't ask me. So C-A-P-I-T-A-L-E analytics.com. And I'm sure they can find the link in your uh, show notes there. Um, And it just gives a little information about our company and who we are. And we're always open for discussion. We're not attorneys. The clock's not running. We have a lot of discussions and bids and quotes. We do a lot of people, uh, they just send us an asset list and say, tell me what you see here. And we give them some ideas about what they're getting into for their needs. And that's always free. So we're always happy to talk, always happy to connect with people and do what we can to help. Truly, all, all the folks that, that I've sent your way have said nothing but the, the same thing, that how generous you are with your time and, and willingness to at least point them in, in the direction and, and you don't turn the meter on unless you absolutely have to. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, we appreciate that business. I would take you out to lunch in appreciation, but, you know, there's a pandemic. And we can't- <laughs> I'll put a rain check. So <laughs> thanks again so so much for being generous with uh, with your time and, and all the, the work that you do to help business owners owners maximize their value. And, and I conclude every, every show, you know, thank you so much for being a defender of business value. Thanks. It's been fun. All right, buddy. Stay well. Thank you. 
This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. 